good morning, afternoon, or evening, whatever time it is, we are glad that you're joining us online here at North Point. If you have the app, why don't you pull that out? We want to connect with you. So if you go to the virtual connect tab and let us know that you're here, that would be great. If you don't have the app, don't worry. You can text guest NCC to 94090 and it'll send you a link and it'll allow you to connect with us in that way. Again, we are so glad you are here for worship. So let's get started.
every song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus' name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever save Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you
to have you here. I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. I hope you've been encouraged by the music from the band, and I know that you're going to be encouraged from God's Word in, in uh, just a couple of minutes. Uh, there are some incredible things that are happening at North Point and that we want you to be a part of. Next Sunday, uh, July 19th, it will be the first Sunday that we have our children's programming back uh, going again. We have uh, all kinds of protocols in place to make sure that everything is clean and uh, sanitary. Uh, got a great team of people who are going to be uh, protecting themselves, protecting the kids, but teaching them about Jesus and letting them know that God loves them and that their church is here for them. And we hope that you'll be back for that. Next Sunday as well, we're going to have a time of communion. Uh, communion's been a bit of a challenge for us since we've been coming back because uh, we're not passing the trays. We're, we are coming up with some other ways to do that. And uh, it it's, uh, has created some great opportunities, but we hope you'll be here next Sunday, especially to be able to join together as the body of Christ and to celebrate uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection through communion. There are some, some incredible things that are going on that we want you to know about. Uh, some, some support recovery ministries that are so important at this point in time. Divorce care, uh, grief share, uh, both of those opportunities are there. Financial Peace University, if uh, you're struggling through this time with, with debt and with the impact of the economy right now, uh, that's a great opportunity. Uh, Celebrate Recovery, our ministry for people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, 
is back and uh, and meeting live and in person on Thursday nights again. And, and uh, I know a lot of people are struggling with hurts, habits, and hangups. And uh, now would be a great time to connect to uh, celebrate recovery. Coming up August 6th and 7th is the Global Leadership Summit. It is an incredible opportunity to grow as a leader, both in, in the marketplace, in the work world, and here at North Point. We hope that it will be a, a tool that, that uh, literally um, scores of people here from North Point can take advantage of world-class teaching on how to grow as a leader. doesn't matter whether you're just beginning as a leader, uh, maybe you're a young leader, or whether you've been leading for a long time. You may think that you don't have a lot of leadership abilities, but everyone has influence, and that's this year's theme. You have influence, and we hope that you'll be a part of that. You can register by going to the North Point website or, or simply by texting GLS to uh, 94090. I couldn't remember that number. 94090. And if you just text GLS, that will, uh, that will allow you to register. Uh, we have a, we have a secret code for North Point. You can get that off the website and, um, and that will allow you to save some money and to take advantage of those two great days of training. One of the parts of worship that's so important is a chance to give back to God. At this point in time in particular, I think it's just so helpful and healthy for us to recognize that God is the one who provides for us all the time. The economy is uncertain, our jobs are uncertain, but God is constant and we can trust him. He has blessed us so much. So I want to encourage you to give, uh, to give electronically from home. That would be great. Uh, you can text um, 77977. 77977, and the message is just uh, NCC Give, NCC Give, and that will take you to a link right away that will allow you to, to uh, give electronically. You can do that on a one-time basis or, or even set it up to give monthly or weekly or whatever. Let me encourage you uh, one last thought. I'm, I'm working on the budget right now for this next year, and um, in putting those figures together, one of the things I realized is that we pay a lot of money to the bank for the use of bank cards uh, through electronic giving. If you go to your bank and have your bank send a check directly to North Point, it eliminates those those fees and could potentially save us a lot of money. So uh, and and let your dollars go to to ministry rather than just to the bank. So I'd encourage you to think about doing that as well. Or if you just want to mail a check into the church office, you can do that as well. I'm going to pray, pray that God would use our offerings, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll hear from God's word. Lord, thank you for the way that you've taken care of us, for your faithfulness in these times. And uh, take what we give today, uh, whether, we're, whether we're writing a check and sending it in, whether it's coming from our banks or off our cards, whatever it is, God, take that money and use it to further your kingdom here in Michigan and around the world as well. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what are you afraid of? 
like, like that's a literal question, and I, and I want you to answer it. What are you afraid of? What, what scares you? I want you to write, write it down right now. Like if you're using the North Point app, uh, pull that out. There's a little section for that. If you're not using the app or you don't have it, uh, grab a piece of paper and a pen and write down the answer to that question. Actually write it down. What are you afraid of? I want you to name it. And, and I'll wait. We'll pause. Not a, not a problem. You can pause if you need more time, but, but I'll give you a second. What are you afraid of? Okay, that's enough time. Uh, uh, and then, and then whatever you wrote down, look at what you wrote down. And, and why are you afraid of that? Like, what is it about that that really causes fear? What scares you? Like, what's the worst that could happen if that thing came true? See, this, this, this tool, it's actually a counseling tool where we have people name their fear and kind of think about the outcome of that. Um, it's, it's incredibly effective because there are a number of things that I guess we can be afraid of in our world, but, but almost all of them, and I'd, I'd really venture to say all of them can be overcome. If you just some good work or some good, uh, therapeutic models or whatever, we can really work through those fears. Matter of fact, one of my daughters early on around age seven or eight, one of her biggest fears was going to jail. Did I tell you she was eight? She's, she was terrified of going to jail. And so we would work through that almost every night with her and just ask the simple question, well, how do you not go to jail? And she'd say, well, I don't commit a crime. And we'd say, this seems very simple. So don't do crime. You won't go to jail. And that was a, a thing we did for a long time to help her overcome that fear. The things that we're afraid of can really be overcome. And if we can actually figure out the root of that fear, because most fears come from some similar root, if we can figure out the root, then we can destroy the fear. Well, what I want to do this morning is actually give you something to be afraid of. Like, this is literally something to fear. All those other things that you wrote down, like we could figure out how to overcome those fears. And I want to give you something this morning that's legitimate, that is actually something to be afraid of, that that I think um, on our own we can't Overcome. I know that's really not a great setup for a sermon because now you're considering turning it off. But give me 20 minutes, and uh, and I think you'll see what I mean here. Uh, turn to Daniel chapter five. Daniel chapter five is where we are this morning. We're we're in the middle of a series called Fearless and uh, looking through the book of Daniel, the life of Daniel, um, and and the story that we want to look at today. For me. See, I have this opinion that God is sarcastic. And, and I know that some people disagree with me on that, and that's okay. They can be wrong. But, but I think he's sarcastic. And the story we're going to look at today, for me, is one of those proofs. It's one of those moments and evidences that, that God has this great uh, sarcastic sense of humor. Daniel chapter 5. Let me just review where we've been to sort of set up where we are. We've, we, we saw early on in the book of Daniel, Daniel's fearlessness when he was uprooted from his homeland and taken into captivity. I mean, he was willing to take a stand for what he felt was right. And then we saw Daniel's friends' fearlessness when they were ordered to worship another god and threatened with incineration. We saw their fearlessness that God could save them, but even if, even if he didn't, they would still worship and they would still trust and they would still believe. So that, that, that sense of fearlessness there. Then we saw Daniel's fearlessness when he had to give King Nebuchadnezzar a really difficult message, and yet he did it because God told him to and he knew that it was important. 
Today, Daniel chapter 5, history takes a little bit of a shift. King Nebuchadnezzar, who's been the, the character for a while, well, he's, he's died. And it's been maybe be between 10 and 20 years. And now a guy named Belshazzar is the new king. He's now ruling. Belshazzar is probably related to Nebuchadnezzar through marriage. He married uh, Nebuchadnezzar's maybe daughter or granddaughter. Uh, and he's now sitting on the throne. In the end of Daniel chapter 4, we see Nebuchadnezzar at least starting to, to move towards God. There's this momentum towards uh, a knowing and worshiping God. And in Daniel chapter 5 with Belshazzar, all that momentum is gone. It's completely been lost. And Belshazzar is just this kind of terrible character you'll see in a minute. Daniel chapter 5, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. It says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine and gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles and wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and their king and their nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, of iron, and of stone." Just, just pick up what's going on. This Belshazzar is throwing this raging party. His rich friends are there, his wives are there, his girlfriends are there, and he's throwing this rager of a party, which is fascinating historically because the nation of Persia is already camped on Babylon's de- doorstep, and it seems very irresponsible that Belshazzar would just be partying it up, really seemingly on the evening of being conquered, but he doesn't seem to care. It really is about this uh, party. During the drunkenest, I don't know if that's a word, but it is now, the drunkenest part of this party, he orders that the temple guy goblets be brought in because they're going to use those to drink from. Now, now don't, don't just think that these are just cups. These are not just cups. These are uh, holy items that the Jews had in the temple for a very specific religious purpose. This move by Belshazzar is a huge spit in the eye. It's a smack in the face towards God, towards the Jews. Uh, it really is a play for power. These, these goblets were holy. And Belshazzar is intentionally using them for this drunken orgy. In some way, Belshazzar is really trying to demonstrate his authority over any potential God or other nations, that he has no care in the world about what anybody else thinks or or anything at all. This is really pride and arrogance to the nth degree. Imagine some, uh, to, to, to make us feel it a little bit, imagine some arrogant politician coming into your home and uh, uh, grabbing uh, a two-liter bottle of Fago or a bottle of Bud Light out of your refrigerator, going over to your fireplace, taking Grandma Betty's urn off the mantle, dumping her ashes out, and pouring that Bud Light or that Fago into her urn and taking a big old swig. Now we're getting close to the level of insult that just happened with Belshazzar and these these goblets from the temple. It was an incredibly huge insult. And to just drive home the point, like Belshazzar doesn't stop there, but while they're drinking out of these holy relics, he starts singing praise songs to like God gold and God silver and God wood. He's basically poking fun at God and poking fun at anybody who would worship him. Belshazzar is not naive. We are not even allowed to think for a minute that somehow he didn't know what he was doing. He absolutely knew what he was doing. This was incredibly intentional. Belshazzar 
was just a punk. He's just a horrible person, and he's doing this intentionally. This is urinating on a cross type of insult. This is an incredibly insulting thing. Belshazzar is flexing his muscle. And God decides to call him out on it. Back to chapter 5, starting in verse 5, it says this. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. And the king watched the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Now, we, we got to pause here. We skipped this too much. We got to pause and just, just picture this. God literally dropped a disembodied hand out of nowhere into this drunken frat party to give a message. Like, God could have done this so many other ways. He could have sent in a prophet. He could have sent an angel. He could have dropped a scroll out. A zillion different ways God could have done this. But he didn't. He chose to send a floating finger to write a message on the wall. That's hilarious. And you ask the question, well, why? Why did he choose to do it that way? Because it's hilarious. I, I, I think God has this sarcastic sense of humor. And he's in, uh, hanging out in heaven with Jesus. And, and, and they're like, hey, we got to get Belshazzar's attention. And God's like, hey, watch this. Watch this. And this thing starts writing. Although now, now you got to picture the party that's going on. Because they're plastered. They're drunk out of their minds. And all of a sudden, this floating hand shows up. And they got to be trying to figure out, what the heck is going on? I think they're losing their minds. They're diving over couches, hiding behind couch cushions, trying to crawl under tables. It is, it is this melee. And I think it's hilarious. Two minutes ago, all these, these party people were flexing their muscle at how important they are and how tough they are drinking out of Grandma Betty's urn, and now they're on the floor crying like babies. That's some funny stuff, right? And the Bible makes sure to include the details of verse 6, which we can't miss because it's hilarious. It says that Belshazzar's face turns pale. I mean, the dude goes white. The blood drains out of it. He's like, oh, no, right? And it says that his knees knocked together. That's like a cartoon, right? He was so terrified, his legs are shaking. And then it gives us this detail. It says that his legs became weak. Uh, a lot of times our modern versions of the Bible try and sanitize phrases because I, I don't know why. Maybe they think they're not appropriate for church. I don't know. But the literal interpretation of these, these words, legs became weak, it literally means his loins loosened and it let go. Yes, that means exactly what you think that means. Uh, he got so scared that he evacuated some bowels. Now, try and tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor in the way that he gave this message to Belshazzar with this touch of sarcasm in it. And so as, as this party, Belshazzar and his nobles and his wives and his girlfriends start, start coming back out of the couch cushions and coming back out of under the table and seeing what happened because the hand is gone at, at this point, they notice that there's a, a message left written on the wall. This sounds like one of those really terrible horror movies or, or something. And so Belshazzar sees this message and he can't read it, so he tries to find someone to tell him what it says. E either it's in a different language or, or maybe it's 
in some sort of a code or something. But basically, God wants to pull Daniel into this situation. And so he writes a message in such a way that only Daniel is going to understand it. And so that's what happens. Uh, Belshazzar works through his own staff and his advisors and his own magicians and his own wise people. And he's offering this huge reward for anybody that can interpret what the floating hand wrote on the wall. And eventually they run out of people and the queen steps up, probably Nebuchadnezzar's wife, but we're not entirely sure. She steps in and she says, hey, there used to be this guy named Daniel who Nebuchadnezzar relied on to help him understand and interpret these complex things. You should check him out. And Belshazzar does. Daniel at this point, by the way, is older. He's probably in his 70s or or maybe even 80s. I mean, he's been doing this for a long time. So Belshazzar sends for Daniel and we get to verse 17 in the story. And it says this, uh, then Daniel answered the king. You may keep your gifts and your rewards for yourself and and give those rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. I think this is a little glimpse into the fact that that Daniel probably was a little older. He's not even messing around with the reward. He doesn't really have time for that anymore. These are not important things to him. He's not really interested in Belshazzar's games or anything. He just says, I don't need your stuff. I'll tell you what it says. And Daniel then goes on to talk about how Nebuchadnezzar had also started out really arrogant like Belshazzar. But at some point, Nebuchadnezzar sort of figured it out and and knocked some edges off that arrogance and acknowledged that God was sovereign. But we get to verse 22, and this is what Daniel says about Belshazzar. He says, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You've had the goblets taken from the temple and brought to you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines drank from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which can't see or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds his hand in his hand, your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. And this is what the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel, parson. And here's what those words mean. Many. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, the kingdom, your kingdom, is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple and a gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. Daniel says... Belshazzar, you knew all this. You knew all this stuff about Nebuchadnezzar and arrogance and the importance of, of, of knowing God and his sovereignty and acknowledging that, and yet you refused to do it. You knew all this, and yet you still were arrogant. The phrase, he said, you did not honor the God who, hold, who in his hand holds your life in all ways. You didn't honor him. And the three words that are written, the word many, the word tekel, and the word parson, many, this idea of an accounting has happened for all you've done. Your, your days have been numbered. Like, I know what you've done. Tekel, it's been weighed and found weak or light or worthless. And parson is, you'll be punished. Your kingdom will be divided. See, basically, it means this. You've been numbered and you're done. Like, you've been weighed and you lack. I mean, you want something to be afraid of? It seems like mainstream media and social media always trying to find something for us to be afraid of. You want something real to be afraid of? 
it's that. It's not COVID or BLM or Republicans or Democrats or Biden or Trump or cancer or a house fire or total economic shutdown. Fear this, being weighed by God and found lacking. Fear God putting you on the scales only to find out that you're worthless. That'll keep you up at night. That'll make you not sleep. That'll make you hide under couch cushions or crawl under a table or cower in a corner. Many tackle. You don't have much time left and you've done nothing with your life. That's a terrifying thought. For what it's worth is I've taken stock of my own life. Um, and if I'm just being bluntly honest and, and tried to do some work to figure out why I'm anxious in certain situations as I think about things in the future or whatnot. Why am I anxious? And honestly, I've come to learn this about me is that um, I, I want to be significant. I don't think that that's rocket science. I think probably lots of folks are the same way. I want to have uh, meaning. I want to matter. And so if I fear being alone, if my spouse were to die and I'd be alone, it's because I, I fear feeling insignificant. Or, or if I fear getting older, uh, it's really because I fear that I might lose my influence. Um, if I fear getting fired from my job, it, it's really because I, I fear that I'll be seen as not necessary. See, I fear not mattering. And this is the heart of, of Tekel, that word that was written on the wall by this disembodied floating finger that God wanted to communicate to Belshazzar and then is left in Scripture for us to read and think about for ourselves. It's the heart of Tekel to have been examined and found a failure. But, but take hope, right? Because there's actually a way to never have to worry about Tekel. Like that's the whole point of Jesus coming uh, to earth and living and dying and rising again so that we would never have to be afraid of Tekel. See, see, Tekel is not a fear or a phobia that we can just work through with some good therapeutic models or some good talking or some, some medication or whatever. There's only one cure for Tekel, and that is this person of Jesus. See, outside of a relationship with Jesus, like the best a person can hope for is maybe to make a slight difference in a small area and then be forgotten within 50 years. That's, that's Tekel. But inside a relationship with Jesus, not only does Jesus take and pay for the punishment of my sin, not only does he pay for that, but he also pours his worth into you. Like there is, there is nothing less tackle on the planet than that. Jesus pouring his worth into me or into you. See, as a Christ follower, I've been weighed and found worth so much more than anyone could ever know or imagine. And I want to say it again. As a Christ follower, I've been weighed and found worth so much more than anyone could ever know or imagine. Not because of what I've done, but because of who Jesus is. See, that's the thing Belshazzar missed, right? He, he was weighed and, and found wanting, right? But Because in his mind, it all rested on him. For him, everything was all about him. That's pretty worthless. But, but in God's economy, it's all about Jesus who gives us immense worth. This is how the disciple Paul puts it in his letter to the Ephesians. He says it like this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Chosen, blameless, holy, adopted. If you were to go on and read the rest of chapter one, it uses words like included, redeemed, marked, sealed, guaranteed. Like these are amazing truths of who we are in Christ. Ephesians 1 is often where I start with people who are brand new to Jesus or people who are struggling in their relationship with Jesus because we've got to get our head around who Jesus says we are because that's the opposite of tekel. It's not weighed and worthless. It's weighed and full of value and worth. It's an amazing thing. So let me ask the question. Have you seen the writing on the wall? Do you know your true worth? And do you know where it comes from? Those are like life-changing, game-changing questions. Have you seen the writing on the wall? Do you know your value? And do you know where it comes from? The secret of managing our fear or living fearless, it really starts with knowing who we are and what we're worth. See, if you're a child of God, that defines your value. What is there to be afraid of? If your present is sealed in him, then the unknowns can't shake you. You If your inheritance in eternity is in heaven, then there is no need to fear dying from an illness or contracting a disease. Like if your citizenship is in the kingdom, capital K, kingdom ruled by Christ, political unrest doesn't make you hide or feel like you have to yell and scream. Friends, don't leave here today fearful. Don't leave here today wrapped in fear. Disciples of Christ, uh, you know, those who follow Jesus, being changed by Jesus, committed to the mission of Jesus, there is literally nothing to fear. 